Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Episode 8, Part 2, uh, Continuation of Man, Son, Baby, Boy. I have a guest, my guest, my newest guest here to um, push our thinking around man, son, baby, boy, Lakeisha Fulmore. If you can just tell us who you are, give us a brief bio of what you do. Yes. Thank you, first and foremost, for having me join you today. Um, Definitely an honor to be here with you. So congratulations on your podcast. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So tell us about who who are you professionally? What do you do as a profession and and something personal about yourself? Sure. So I'm Lakeisha Fulmore, a licensed mental health counselor uh, for the state of New York. Um, I currently am a care coordinator, providing care coordination services for the severely and persistently mentally ill population, primarily servicing the Bronx region. So that's my day job. Twice a week at night, I'm also a psychotherapist, um, providing therapy services for both adults and children, again, servicing the Bronx. So that is my professional background. Um, I also have a background in finance. So this is kind of like my second career now. So I'm still, you know, navigating this mental health, you know, uh, care coordination realm. That's professional. Yes. Some hobbies I like to do, just, you know, go to the gym. That's one of my main things. And, you know, loving on my baby girl. All right. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So let's start with some stats. I have uh, 2011, 31% of black men, 20% of Latino men, and 15% of white men stayed home during during the ages of 25 to 34. Amongst the same ages, it was 11% black women, 11% Latino women, and 9% white women. So generally, just hearing those statistics, what you're thinking around this? Um, why men seem to stay home longer than women? Yes. Uh, I think this is so layered. Um, I do think that there is a societal difference in what we expect from both men and women. Uh, traditionally, you know, men are expected to provide and be that man and take care of their families. But I feel like in development, as they're getting older, they're not really taught those skills directly. I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when boys are being raised, there's no set intention to say, I am preparing you to take care of your family. I'm preparing you to be independent. I'm preparing you to lead. They're more so, um, I believe, this is, again, this is all my opinion, kind of just taught to sow their royal oath, right? And it's more, um, I don't know, praise when boys are dating around. So they're not really 
taught these things. They're not, as in girls, when they're teenagers, they tend to have like sort of rites of passage ceremonies, right? You heard of Sweet 16. That's kind of like an indicator that you're transitioning into, you know, womanhood, if you will, right? I find that boys don't have that growing up. And it's, I believe, unfair to expect them when they become adult men to now say, okay, boom, now it's time to be a man. Now it's time to lead, not being prepared for that as they're developing. So I kind of think there's some of that going on. So it sounds like you're speaking to an implicit bias in terms of child rearing. Yeah, um, yeah. Can you speak to just the differences in, in how parents raise boys versus girls in a household? And yeah, how that may lead um, to this problem? Yeah, uh, like I said, it's, I think is boys are just kind of allowed to roam free and, you know, do what they not want, but it's, it's less... Um, it's less restrictive in terms of what they're able to do versus girls and how that tie into men staying at home. I think it's a lot of fear because they know they're not equipped with those, with those skills. They're kind of just thrown out. And this is more of, a, <clears throat> of you. This is your expectation. You're a guy, you, you know, you're supposed to take care of your family, but I think they also acquire a lot of fear knowing that they're not prepared for that. So the tendency to stay home is a bit more comfortable for them. Um, unlike women and girls, we're, we're taught to you have to take care of yourself. Sometimes we're, we're set in the role of taking care of our younger siblings because mom has to work if you're raised in a single-parent house, household. Or, you know, you have to take a little bit more of adult responsibility. So they have that practice early on. So they have that confidence you know, that fearlessness to go out in the world and be independent beings. So I think that definitely contributes to um, the statistics of black women. And women in general have a lower stat rate in staying home than, than men. Right. So let me ask you about what about the external factors in terms of the job market and the, 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 the is a, a downtick in manual labor and an uptick in techno, technological jobs. How does that change the expectations that we have to have for men in the household? Um, well, I don't know the exact statistic, but I believe women are graduating college at a much higher rate than men. Is, That's am a I fact. right on that? Okay. So I don't know the exact statistic, but because of that, um, we expect men to lead in such a competitive environment, a competitive economy now, but they're not. I'm not saying all, but statistically, they're not obtaining the higher education that's required nowadays for basic jobs, right? Um, I recently had, I have a client now, actually, who's in her 40s, and she's looking for work and finding it very frustrating um, to find employment. Now, she doesn't have higher education because everything requires it. Everything, something basic as deception requires some sort of bachelor's or associate's degree. So when you tie the fact that men are not, not all, but statistically men are not going to higher education, they're not completing that, it makes it much harder to provide for that family. And then you have the added pressure of societal expectations that's added stress. When you add those things together, you back somebody in the corner, you're either going to have one or two reactions, right? One of them is definitely going to be the fight. And fighting in that case is resentment withdrawal, right? right? And sometimes providing for that family is not going to happen. So I do think we need to adjust um, our expectations, given that 
competitive job market is is high now. It's very difficult to find employers. So t- tell me about you know one of the interesting things about you is that you have you grew up with brothers, That's and right. what was different? Uh, what what subtle difference differences did you notice in your household between the way you were raised and your brothers? Well, first and foremost, I had a curfew. Brothers did not. Mm. Um, and if they did have a curfew, it was much later than mine. I was, um, it was always, you know, watch your sister. Make sure she doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Or make sure you always keep an eye on her. None of that is happening for them. You know, so in, in the sense, it's sort of like, I know I'm being watched. I can't do what I would like to do and run roam free like I would like, maybe. And even if I didn't, I didn't have an option to because I was being watched by my brother. But with him, it was more, you know, a little bit more freedom. There's a lot more freedom in the household with boys, at least with my experience. In terms of discipline, what was it like in the household? The differences? Uh, see, I was a different type of child. Um, I didn't really require discipline. I was very, very quiet and timid. I still kind of am. So... I didn't really require anything. I really didn't do much. I just kind of um, listened. Um, but my brother, in terms of discipline, he he did. Um, uh, he, he there was a lot of hostility, you know, because he wanted to do a lot more than what my mother allowed. Things that could have brought harm to the family. Um, so that caused a lot of friction in the home, but. My mom was a very passive person, so disciplining didn't really, you know, we didn't get disciplined as much. Their kind of hostility was more fighting and arguing disagreements, but there was no, you know, the traditional discipline of hitting and, uh, you know, those type of discipline practices. So how did, how did, how did your, your brothers um, learn to be men? What was uh, that process? To be honest, it, I don't know for sure, but in my opinion, I would think it's from their friends. Everyone's growing together. Everyone um, believes that this is what a man is. This is what they're supposed to be, right? I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to not show emotion or that's weak. I am supposed to, um, I guess they knew that they're supposed to provide as well, but that really didn't land. Um, But there's this machismo kind of toughness, this shell that's suspected of a man. And I think they just kind of learned from their friends, um, uncles. No one really directly taught them and sat them down and said, this is, this is your rite of passage. This is what's required. Let me show you exactly. More on trial and error. Wow. Now, do you yeah. think that the, the, the lack of having these experiences um, with male mentorship, does it have an impact or play out in relationships, in future oh, relationships? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. If a man or boy never sees an example of someone that looks like him being vulnerable, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, how else will he learn? The human experience alone is us learning from each other, right? We, we model behavior, things that we've been taught. Our parents instill values in us. We've learned, whether it's directly or indirectly, from our upbringing and those around us. So if you're not learning important intimacy things, skills, like showing vulnerability, being able to effectively communicate your emotions and what your thoughts are, your disagreements, 
right? If you're not, if you don't practice that when it's required and called upon, it's going to be very difficult to do. It's going to be very difficult. So, I mean, if we talk about the baby boy syndrome, we, we're talking about someone who um, is underage, highly dependent on mom. They have a, a unique relationship, maybe single mom. When we talk about the man-son syndrome, we're talking about someone who's an adult now looking to his partner to be sort of like his mother figure. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually um, a psychological phenomenon. They call it the Oedipus complex. Mm. Talk um, about that. Where is this weird relationship or weird attraction that you have with your mother, right? It's kind of like that connection that you have with them. So when you don't get that, something that you always desire in your development, when that is um, unfulfilled, right, you're kind of trapped in this stage of your development. You're kind of trapped in this, this part of, of your growing. When you're trapped there psychologically or emotionally, you enter into a relationship, you have a lot of these uh, projections is what we call it. You project a lot of these things onto your partner. So that will definitely spill over to your relationship because what's missing that you've always yearned for as you're growing up, you're going to subconsciously seek that in your partner. Most people choose their partners, not saying all, but most people do choose their partners based on how they view their parents, the opposite sex of their parents, right? Whether it's subconsciously or not. So if you're missing something that you've always desired growing up, going into a relationship, having that partnership with someone, subconsciously, whether you're aware of it or not, you will absolutely be seeking that validation from that person. Wow. Absolutely. So you, you being a woman, what would be your role or your approach to raising a young male? If I had a boy as a child? Yes, or, and even if okay. you had to mentor? Um, first of all, I would definitely say it's okay to show how you feel. It's okay. I would not take the approach or the stance of when a boy cries. If he falls and he hurt himself and he cries, take the approach of man up, stop being soft, you don't cry. You know, that kind of tough love approach. I absolutely would nurture his feelings and I'm not saying in a way where I'm coddling him because I don't even coddle my own daughter right now I would take the same approach with my daughter as of right now we're going to talk about what you're feeling let's practice talking about what you're feeling let's practice um knowing what it's like to know what a safe space is like to express your feelings I'm going to be that one to provide that safe space so when you do come across this hopefully you do you can recognize it you develop better assessment skills. So my approach would absolutely be to nurture their feelings in a way where they have understanding and they're not afraid of them and they're not ashamed of them. And they're able to effectively communicate them. That's number one. Number two, I would also explain to them what society expects of them. Again, this is the same approach I have with my six-year-old daughter. Explain to them this is what society expects of you. Let's try to work on getting to know who you are because I'm going to tell you what it is they want you to be. So before you allow them to define who you are, let's make sure you know who you are. So that would absolutely be my everyday goal. Again, I currently do that with my daughter. Um, 
And so those are really the main things I think with approaching raising the sign. So, so you have you have an advantage. But now let's let's speak to um, single mothers and some maybe some single dads who struggle with you know showing their feelings and articulating them. Right. And how do they how do they get in touch and, and develop the the practices to engage that conversation? You mean with the parents who are yeah. lacking the ability to do that themselves? Yes. And now, so they can't do it themselves, but then they're expected to do it with their children. But right. they don't have the capacity to do it. How do we teach them a, a so, build capacity in that individual to do it? Well, we're all learning, right? And I'm sure as an adult, even myself, I sometimes struggle communicating my feelings. Emotions are complicated. Emotions are sometimes hard to express, especially when it's something negative that you like to express to a loved one. I get it. Awareness is the main key to it. You have to be aware that you have a problem. You have to be aware that you're having challenges expressing emotions or even understanding them. So I think if someone is aware and acknowledges that they have challenges, I think they're a little bit more susceptible to um, working on that. So my first step with adults who do have these challenges is to, let's write it first. Let's write what these things you're feeling. I don't care how it sounds. You don't have to worry about grammar. Um, you don't even have to worry about somebody reading it. Write all feelings that you feel. It doesn't have to be complete sentences. You feel anger? Anger. Write anger. You feel hate? Write hate. Whatever it is with a non-judgment view. That would definitely be an activity that, for me at least, will introduce the idea of first being mindful of what you're feeling. Taking a pause to write these things down, focus. it forces you to focus on what you're feeling at that moment because you have to write it down on paper. Mm. So that's a, that's a step for adults. Once that process starts happening, we can start engaging the kids. Once they're comfortable with that, I would then introduce children to see, allowing their parents, allowing themselves to see their parents do this activity and to understand that humans are very complicated and so are adults. Let's do this process together. So this is what mommy is feeling. This is what mommy is writing down about my emotions. What feelings do you feel? Let's talk about these things. It has to be an ongoing process. No, but let me ask you, isn't there a certain amount of confidence that comes with that? Because you have to actually put yourself, place yourself in a vulnerable state to you allow know. yourself to be to seen, be seen that way and to, be, and to feel that way publicly. You do, but it doesn't have to be publicly. It doesn't have to be publicly. It can be within yourself. Publicly would be, even if you're seeing a therapist, that's still private. Right. Mm. I wouldn't ask um, someone to get on the microphone <laughs> and say, it. you know, it has to come from. It has to be something that's done in private. And like I said, private can be with someone who you trust, um, someone that creates that safe space to nurture your vulnerability. Um, but you have to know how to assess that. Right. We I think we all can say, hopefully, I do hope that we do have some safe space where we can, um, I don't know, express how we feel, communicate our thoughts, or just write down our thoughts, even if that safe space is a physical thing. If it's in our room, make that your safe space. So I got a couple of things. I got a, I got a transition for you. So I have two scenarios. I have, in one scenario, 
you have this young male who's taught to express his feelings and be in touch with his feelings. He goes out into the world, his school environment, or even his, his community, and the other boys look at him with a strange look and say, what are you talking about? And essentially punch him in his mouth. Not literally, but like, you know, reject him right. in terms of exposing himself in that way. And so how do we make, how do we create a safe space for that, that child to be able to express themselves, but also adapt to the world that may not be ready for that? Right. It definitely comes with some confidence. Absolutely. Um, we all want to have rejection, right? And we have, we need the stamina and the confidence to be able to take that. So equipping that child with dealing with that in society, that goes back to my point with, um, about talking to him about what society will expect of him. And like I said, this will be an ongoing thing. Um, Knowing your child is a big thing. Knowing um, if they are ready to really be expressive about their feelings towards their friends. They have to also be equipped with knowing that, like you said, everybody's not going to be ready to hear that. So assessing um, the the necessity to express their feelings at that moment. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I know I'm saying I'm talking like it's, it's easy, right? Like it's something that you, you can do it just one day. Um, but it's, it's an ongoing process. You have to be mindful and have an, an intention with raising your children, knowing that it's not just providing a roof over their head and uh, food on the table. That's absolutely the basic things and the essentials. But there's so many intricacies with regarding their emotional health, their mental well-being, that needs to start from very young, toddler age. And you know your child. You can, you can assess their confidence level, whether or not they are ready to be vulnerable and to take rejection. Right? So, so, so what about those? The, so we have people who haven't gotten this lesson. They haven't heard you today. They haven't listened to this podcast. They don't have these tools. Now they have adolescents in front of them. And they're facing challenges with this, this, young, this young male and the, the school is calling the parent and saying, hey, you know, this kid is misbehaving. We don't know what to do. We need you to get it raining, your child. And the, and the mother or father says, I don't know what to do with this boy anymore. You mm-hmm. tell me. Right. So, now, so, so, mm-hmm. so and, and but then the there's a resistance there and a tension between this young male and his parents because now the parents have publicly rejected that child. Right. And so right. where are we now? How do we wheel them back in, right? Yeah. Mentorship is definitely the biggest thing. Um, and sometimes, if, <laughs> to be honest, and I do counsel a lot of children and teenagers, many kids are not asked, how are you doing? Or what is going on with you? Many times, behavior, let me just back up a bit. Thoughts are connected to behavior. Behaviors are connected I'm sorry, thoughts are connected to feelings and feelings are connected to behavior. So there's obviously some, we, we tend to respond to the behavior, right? The behavior piece. So it's kind of like this person's not behaving. This person is, um, I don't know, not listening to class. They're not focusing. Something's off. We tend to attack the behavior first without even asking this person, how are you feeling? How was your day? Did you even eat? You'd be surprised of how many children go about their day teenagers, adolescents, um, without anyone asking how they're doing. And sometimes it's just as simple as that, right? Just asking them, 
What's going on? And to really see them. There are times that I've had clients where they're acting out, and it's terrible. I'm not making excuses for the behavior. It's unacceptable. But there are times when I'm counseling these children with unacceptable or maladaptive behavior, and I'll ask them, what happened? How you, what's going on today? How was your day today? And I would hear things that would completely shock me that this adolescent sitting across from me is dealing with this and no one knows. They've been on suspension. They've been on expulsion. They, they've been through juvenile, psych wards, right? And no one knows that they've been touched inappropriately. No one knows about these things. So to reach a lot of these children who we focus on behavior and it seems impossible, and trust me, I get it. It's frustrating. Let's just pause for a second and let's, let's wheel it back a little bit and take a step back and let's focus on feelings, right? Okay, they can't talk about their feelings. Let's back up a bit more. Let's talk about your thoughts. What are you thinking right now? Let's talk about what some things go through your head. Do you have thoughts that just pop up in your head that may stress you out? Are you constantly thinking about something that worries you? Are you worried about mom? There are times that parents exhibit behavior that directly impacts the child, and they don't even know that. Mm. You know? So we may have to wheel it back. So like I said before, thoughts are connected to feelings. Feelings are connected to behavior. Behavior is usually the output. Behavior is usually the thing that we focus on and judge and criticize. But let's, let's, let's take a step back and think about feelings. Let's, let's address that first. They don't want to do that? Okay, let's, let's talk about thoughts. We talk about the thoughts, we can help them tie those feelings to those thoughts to gain better understanding of their behavior. Mm. Now tell me, what, what about, so what about in situations where there's enabling behaviors? And if, can you just pretty much tell us what enabling, enabling behaviors are and how you can get away from those? Enabling behaviors by the parents? Yes. Mm. So let's say a child is misbehaving, they're not um, performing well academically. They have um, high absent rates. Um, they, you know, disrespect staff. Typical oppositional defiant behavior, right? Let's just use that as an example. Their home life, no one ever helps them with their homework, right? Uh, no one has ever showed interest in their education in terms of speaking with teachers, finding out what they may have trouble with, um, maybe what they're failing, etc. Right? right? There's no one waking them up in the morning. Mm. <laughs> right? There's, there's sort of this, they know what they're supposed to do. So why am I um, doing it for them? So there's this kind of no alarm clock, no no ensuring that the person, the child gets up on time. Or if the child doesn't even want to go, there's enabling behavior of not showing any concern that the child didn't go to school for two weeks. Right? That's enabling behavior there. Taking it a step further, mother and dad's relationship, that might be an indirect enabling thing where if you're having a problem with the child disrespecting staff and adults, he's not being shown or no one's demonstrating to him how respectful communication is or how to respectfully communicate with someone because mom and dad doesn't respectfully communicate with each other. Wow. You're modeling behavior, right? 
and and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm sure there are times where I will, you know, exhibit behaviors that I'm like, wow, that might that might be a negative strike. But we are always modeling for our children. So enabling behaviors, especially not showing a, a true interest or concern about the child, whether it's directly or indirectly, absolutely is enabling behavior. Modeling certain maladaptive behavior amongst yourself and your adult friends and your spouse and whomever else is also an enabling behavior. You can't expect them to do what you're not doing. Wow. No, I was just just saying parenting is hard. This is definitely not coming from a judgmental stance at all. I definitely have my struggles, but I encourage everyone to just be mindful of um, how they speak and how that may impact their child's mental and emotional health or what type of person would you like them to grow into, into, you know, maybe you have to work on yourself and pieces of yourself to help your child get there, to model that behavior for them. So I'm not, this is not from a judgmental point. I encourage everyone to just take a step back and just be mindful of a lot of things. So you, so you spoke to the individual, the parent per se, in this work and you, and you spoke to some strategies that would support young men becoming men. Now t- talk to me about how the external environment, the community can support this effort because we can't do this alone. So how do we leverage the, the environment around us to help us nurture young men? I think we need to get back to being a community. You know, back in my day, we used to have block parties. Um, <laughs> I'm not a uh, old old, but I'm old enough where I remember having block parties. Now what's parties a block party? I'm just block- kidding. No, no, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was gonna say now you know. Um, we had block parties. We had activities for kids. We had mentorship programs in the community. I don't see a lot of that now. Um, where there's places for kids to go, to just be at leisure, right? A safe place where they're doing positive activities. Billards, basketball, um, things like that. And I'm, there's a lot that does exist, um, but I don't think it's enough. So I think as a community, we do need to get back to being a community, um, looking out for each other kids. Everyone minds their business and no one to get into any trouble. We need to, we need to look out for each other kids, I think. Um, there's a lot of work that police Precincts in certain communities need to do. Um, there's definitely <laughs> some political involvement, so I encourage people to know who your councilmen are, know who your community leaders are, um, talk to them, get to know them, know what their intentions are, because a lot of people have malintentions. You want to know what where your community is going for generations now and to come. Mm. So I think I think is is. We have to do a little bit more community work, myself included. We, all, I think, we all can do that. Is there? Um, a, how can we leverage the technology that's all around us to help uh, us shape young men? Ah, uh, see, that's a hard one. I, I don't think we have <laughs> a lot of control over that, right? Um, because we know that's we know that's a factor and it's an influence, and yes, so we have to confront it. We absolutely do. We absolutely have to confront it. So, you know, okay, just full transparency, I am new as well into this whole, <laughs> you know, social media, internet stuff. 
and just seeing the, the power of it, of it all, the influence. So I'm still trying to figure that out myself, how to have more control of it to where, um, yes, you can engage with it. Yes, it is something that can be positive. It is. Um, but how, how can we, how can we protect our children from a lot of the things that does exist out there, right? That they have access to so easily. Mm -hmm. Um, it's difficult. Education is probably the top of my list. Um, just being honest with them, letting them know that everybody does not have your best interests at heart. There are predators, um, out there that will take advantage of you. You have to be honest. Um, like I said, just it's mainly education. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to get a hold on it. So when you know, more, listen, you're not you the know. only one. I thought, <laughs> you, you know, you know, collectively we'll, we'll offer yeah. solutions. Yeah, we'll add it yeah. like Legos until we have a complete solution. But I think we're yeah. all trying to figure that out. I definitely, because um, my daughter does use my phone sometimes, and she goes on YouTube and things. And I, I definitely check in on her, and you know, I try to be open with her and say, if someone sends you a request, let me know. So she tells me um, what pops up or she'll ask me before she downloads something or click on something unfamiliar. Mm. Um, and I do attribute that to really trying to communicate with her and trying to create a safe space for her to communicate, even if I don't like it. Right. Even if I'm uncomfortable with it, um, I think just trying to ongoingly trying to create that space her having access to social media or the internet, um, I feel she does feel comfortable talking to me and telling me what's going on right now. As far as the older kids, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so let me, I'm going to ask you a really hard question, really two hard questions. What is your definition of a man? Oh, God, why? <laughs> the definition of a man. Um... To be honest, and this and this might sound okay. I'm gonna give you two definitions. I'll give you what a man is first off and foremost, because I tend, I feel like we forget that a man is someone who was born a boy with a penis, right? Like that that you grow into a man. A boy who was born a boy grows and develops into an adult. That's a man. That's the basic definition. In my opinion, what I think a man should behave like what a, a man's acceptable behavior is, um, is someone who holds himself accountable. Someone who is able to take care of himself before he takes care of a family. Mm. Someone who's very self-aware of his emotions, his behavior, how he impacts others. A man who's not afraid to change. He's not afraid to not lead sometimes. Someone who's comfortable in going against societal expectations. So those are just my my things. Someone who does not have a fragile ego. Um, a stand-up person. That's my definition. But traditional definition of a man is just someone, you know, who... Is an adult boy, I guess, if you will. <clears throat> Tell me two. Give me two two uh, men that you're very proud of and why. Oh, that's that's the second hard question. Yeah. 
two men that I'm proud of. Um, I would say my dad. I am proud of my dad. Um, it did take a while for, not a while, but I had to come to some realizations as an adult. I had some resentment and feelings. Um, you know, just being an adult is complicated. And as a child, you don't know the complications of being an adult. So when things don't go as expected, you tend to have some resentment towards the left present parent. Mm. Um, so that was my experience. But as an adult, I realized that my dad takes care of his family. Like, that's the bottom line. He takes care of his family. My dad has never been abusive. Mm. My dad is a very good guy. Good guy. He's not, um, he's a good guy. Mm. Despite his transgressions, <laughs> you know, he's a good guy. So I'm very proud of him. I am. Hello. That's one guy. Okay. Um, and you want another one? Give me another one. <laughs> Got to be more than one out there. Come on. Give me another one. A man that I'm proud of. Um, I do have two male. Oh, no, actually. Can I give you three? Give me three. I'll give you three. Maybe. Yeah, three. I have two male um, close friends um, that I'm proud of. Again, you know, there are certain things that people may say or judge them by, but I'm proud of them because they, they are solid guys. So I am proud of my two guy best friends that I do have. Um, and lastly is my, my older brother, one of my older brothers. He is a single dad and he's raised his son, uh, since he was a baby by himself, wow. completely by himself, completely by himself. And he's still doing it. That's awesome. And it, yeah, it's, I'm so proud of him. So I gave you four. Actually. Wow. <laughs> okay. I gave you four. Yeah. And so are there features of those men that you would like to, that if, so one day when you have your son, are there features of those men that you would like to share with your son? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Just, could you just, okay, yeah, go. I'm sorry. I'm no, you go on. You, you read my mind. <laughs> Um, vulnerability. Okay. My two close friends have no problem telling me how they feel and they have absolutely been vulnerable several times. So definitely um, understanding their emotions. So that's definitely a trait and communicating them and not being afraid to communicate them. Um, hard work ethic. All these men that I mentioned have some really good hard work ethic. Um, so that's definitely something. And it doesn't have to be a job per se, but whatever it is you're passionate about, you need that discipline, that work ethic trait to really drive it to where you want it to be. Mm. So that's definitely a trait that I would like my son to have from these men. And just, okay, and and just niceness. You know, I, I like them. <laughs> being nice. Okay. They're nice. Very nice. So now, now, give me, so just as in closing... Can you give us some really clear advice in terms of what it takes to um, raise young men, our boys, so that we don't have the, the baby boys and, and the man sons? Some strategies that we can use. 
Okay, just just to sum up what I mentioned earlier, just yes. creating that safe space for boys to express their feelings. An example would be they fall. Do not be too hard on them. Just just understand and allow them practice to communicate that booboo that they got on their knee instead mm. of completely just disengaging them. That's definitely one. Um, understanding yourself as a parent, as a caregiver, understanding that you too may have challenges and expressing those challenges to that child so they know that you, you also have these same experiences, that they're not alone that you guys are working together and you guys are there for, you're there for them to figure it all out. So you also have to be willing and able to show some vulnerability with your child. Mm-hmm. Um, also raising boys, mm-hmm. I, I think showing a lot of uh, affection. I think affection, and again, I'm biased. I'm a woman and I'm, I'm raising a daughter. But in my attempt to be objective, I really think there's a lack of affection with boys. And I think is, and I've heard many times, it's because I don't want to make him gay. And mm. it's like, what does that even mean? What, you don't think your son needs a hug? Like, what does that mean, right? Mm. Um, so affection. Affection. Say, I love you. Say, I care about you. Say, I'm here for you. Look them in the eye, say, how was your day? Be present. So those would be my, my top things. Mm. Deep. Very deep. Listen, I would be snapping if we were in the poetry house. <laughs> you are definitely kicking it. Wow. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. I definitely, definitely works out. Definitely. Listen, let's, listen I, 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 let's say to our guests, I hope that um, we helped today. And offer um, some information that will definitely impact your choices in raising young men. Um, Lakeisha, you want to just give your plug in terms of what you do, your second job. You want to push that? Yes. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm located in the Bronx. So if anyone is in the Bronx and needs psychotherapy services, I work for an agency called Urban Health Agency, which is located on 3rd Avenue, 4419 3rd Avenue. Um, they take all insurances with the exception of Oxford, um, but for the most part, they take all insurances. So please, if you need some therapy services and you're in the Bronx, I'm in Urban Health Plan, 4419 3rd Avenue. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you having to be a guest on our show. Thank you so much for having me, Cherise. You got it. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.